All right, friends. We're back on a Monday. Victory Monday for the New York football Giants. Andy, what are we breaking down today? Adam, we're talking about the first eight, nine games of the season. We're talking about your man, Devontae Booker, maybe. We're talking about maybe some head coaching and, and offensive and defensive uh, coordinators and, and game plans. But more importantly, Adam, are we talking playoffs? Buddy, maybe might be the theme of this show. We're going to get into all of it, breaking down the game and beyond for the New York football giants right after the theme music. Ah, yes, friends. On a Monday, following a New York football Giants victory, it's OGP, one giant podcast. I am your host, Adam Armbrecht, at Adam Armbrecht on Twitter, also covering the Brooklyn Nets for the Locked On Nets podcast. And over there, the generational season ticket holder, healthy, wealthy, wise, and recently recommitted to his relationship with his wife, Mr. Andrew Mackwitz. How are we, sir? Uh, you know, anniversary weekend with the wife. Um, so we actually, uh, you know, passed off the tickets to some other family members to go attend the game. Um, coincidentally, Adam, uh, ended up being in Jersey city and stayed at the same hotel as the Raiders, uh, on Saturday night. So, you know, Saturday, there was a bunch of people signing autographs. And then Sunday, as they were going to the buses, we were checking out. So all, all the players, um, you know, I should, I should have thrown a, a little bit of trash talk in there but it looks like the Giants didn't didn't need my support anyway. Yeah, I mean, listen, you you, you kind of threw this out there uh, before we got on the podcast. Oh, my God, I was at the same place that the Raiders were, ran into some punters, maybe a running back or two. Like, where where where's the, you know, you're a salesman, Andy. Get get in the mix. Slide out a business card. Hey, we got a podcast. You know, this, this is the classic rubbing of the elbow scenario, and it just seems like you're letting them go by the wayside. You know what? Something tells me after that performance that the Las Vegas Raiders put out there, nobody would want to come on a Giants podcast to talk about it. We don't have to. We don't have to reveal that part of it. We're we're just a pod, we're a podcast. <laughs> that's we have that's no true. clue where what the intent of the content will be once you uh, <laughs> once we get going on it. Um. We were going to get into the game here. Obviously, the Giants do get a victory. It is, uh, we'll debate about whether or not it's that surprising to get a 23 16 win over uh, the Vegas Raiders. Although, you know, I will say just in general that the score lines the last few weeks have looked, I think, different than what we anticipated. And we're going to get into the defensive side of the football as well. Right off the top, though, there's a couple of things I want to touch on here. The first one is, you go back early in the season, the Giants lose the opener to the to the Denver Broncos. They lose on a last second, felt like you could have won it against the Washington football team. We said back then, like, all right, game week three, listen, hasn't started the way you wanted it to, but what an opportunity to come out, beat the Falcons, be one and two, know you could be two and one, and see if you can get yourself back on track. They lose that game, but then they follow it up with a somewhat surprising victory over the Saints. Much like last week, the week prior against the Kansas City Chiefs, where now different in terms of thinking this is a very gettable team, but Kansas City has not looked right for a lot of this season. So, hey, great opportunity. Get to three and five. It means you're you're right there. You're just you're a step away from being within a game of 500. We know what the back end of the schedule looks like. They come up short. They lose 2017. And then somewhat surprisingly come out and end up beating the Raiders. They are doing this delicate dance, Andy. I'm just curious. Do you feel like the New York football giants keep you hanging on here, even though it's only three and six? Do you do you have that sense of like, oh, they're doing just enough to keep me interested? 
you know what the feeling is? It's frustration. It's yeah, it's like like after the game, I was like, oh, good thing we won. But it's frustrating for a whole host of things. One, you mentioned it earlier. It feels like there was a bunch of winnable games earlier in the season that the Giants could have taken advantage of and then would have catapulted them at least to a 500 record. You look at the yeah. Washington game, if they don't jump off sides, the Falcons game, if, if you know, we don't drop a, a, an interception in the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like right there, that's two plays. All you need is two plays to change it from the Giants being three and six to the Giants you know, being a, a 500 or better team. Like that's how frustrating it can be. And, and so, you know, the other piece of it for me is it's also frustrating the way the Giants win games. I know that every team in the NFL <laughs> is like, just take the win, good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. Wins are all that matter. But it's like, even in this game against the Raiders, it didn't feel great. Like, it wasn't yeah. like the offense was humming along and they had this, like, really strategic game plan to combat what the Raiders do really well. Like, it didn't feel like that. And so you, the Giants win but it's frustrating in how they won. And then the giant, it also makes you frustrated at the fact that there's so many other winnable games that would, could put the giants one or two games out of the division at this point. And that's a lot of where you, you do take a step back and you say, and almost right. You watch Dallas loses and, and you think, you know, Oh, what could have been. And we're not in the same league as the Dallas Cowboys right now. We all know that, but just, Hey, some intrigue, right? You still have another game with them later in the season. Who knows? Maybe you get healthy. And, to your point, like and we said this last episode about you are what you are, right? Like if you're an undisciplined team, if you take too many penalties, if you lose the close games, then that's kind of the team that you are. You're a team that usually loses the close games as opposed to pulling them out. So as we do turn our attention into this game, I think there's a, a lot of different things we can talk about. I threw out something on Twitter that probably surprised you uh, in the fourth quarter from an offensive standpoint. But when we get into the game script, here's what I'm going to tell you, because there's a lot of things to dissect about as far as how this, this team approached it but specifically the things we liked within the game. I'll tell you one thing that I liked, and that was Devontae Booker, my friend. Don't know if you caught the stat line here, but when you have a running back that goes 21 carries for 99 yards and a 4.7 clip, that's called success. It's called keeping your team on schedule, right? That's like a great, the great football term. Stay on schedule. A couple of yards here, a couple of yards there. Make sure you always give second and third reasonable down and distances for your offense. Uh, we're going to expand into the whole game in its entirety, but... This this is a great example of, and it's not, I'm not casting all the way back to the draft, but this is the great example of why drafting high-end talent at the running back position is not always the answer. And it is one spot where you do have to give the tip of the cap to both the guy who drafted a running back second overall, but also went out and signed a guy like Devontae Booker, journeyman running back, who now, when needed, just steps up and gives you a very solid performance. A hundred yard, almost a hundred yard rushing day, something that, Saquon Barkley hasn't done since 2019, obviously injuries being a big part of that. Yeah. So Devontae Booker was great for the Giants yesterday. He was great. And, and to your point, it felt like every time he was running the ball, it was for four or five yards, like every single time. It wasn't like, you know, his longest run of the day was 20 yards, but it, it didn't feel like it was, you know, the way that Saquon is the home run hitter where it's negative two, negative two, 67, negative five, one. Like it, it didn't have that game script where, where you just can't get things going. It did feel like he was helping the Giants, helping Daniel Jones be in the right situations, the second and fives, the third and twos, like much more manageable from an offensive perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, what I will say is, take it all with, with a grain of salt in terms of it being Devonta Booker 
or someone else. The Raiders are one of the worst run defenses in the entire NFL. They're 29th in the league. They give up over 131 yards on the ground per game. So, you know, you give credit to a little bit to the game plan to say, hey, we're going to run the football. That is going to be our calling card today. But Adam, I won't give too much credit because there's going to be some stuff that we need to dissect about the, the game strategy outside of running the ball. Good. Other things. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting piece of it because you're right. The Raiders are a bad run uh, rushing defensive team in the league. But, you know, the other side of it is they, the passing side of the ball, they are fifth best in the league in terms of yards per game. So that's a reality. They're good against the pass, they're bad against the run. Okay. But in a game when it was what? It was late in the second quarter, or maybe even the third quarter before Daniel Jones had a completed pass to a wide receiver. He had the early touchdown to Evan Ingram. Nice catch right at the edge of the end zone. Like, listen, he's on the team, as we've, we've always said. Got to move forward with him. Nice catch. Good play. Didn't do anything else, basically, for the rest of the game. That's not even a knock on Ingram. But it was interesting to see how I can understand staying on schedule and, you know, being effective and, and listen, ultimately winning the game. But this is a pretty hard pendulum swing to say having the sample size that we've had with Kadarius Tony, who he was out there and who knows coming off the injury, right? But you still had Darius Slayton as well. Kenny Galladay got back out there, had a couple of nice catches that moved the change in, in key spots. But boy, was this a, to me, a somewhat high risk, you know, high risk reward decision by the Giants. Because you say, we're going to control the game. We're going to go against what you're bad at. And that's, that's run defense. Okay, fine. But as we know, one sack fumble by Daniel Jones and all of the sudden the game script changed. So this to me felt like if we do everything perfect, if we do everything perfect and we don't take any risks in this game, we can get a win. And off of one mistake that narrowly turned it. And that I think is the razor thin margin that the Giants were playing with here in this game, trying to get a W. Now, I'll ask you. Does the result justify the, the method, right? You, you won the game. You won the game. Or can you step back from it and say, yeah, and this is on a day in a season where Derek Carr has had a very good year for himself. They recently lost Henry Ruggs for his off-the-field issues, obviously, no longer with the team. You were only an average game from Derek Carr away from losing this one as well. There, so the reason why it's frustrating is because it actually feels like the way the Raiders played and the way the Giants played is usually the polar opposite of what we've come to expect for the Giants. We're like, the Giants make some really good moves that, you know, they move the ball down the field. They have faith in their quarterback. Oh, and then the quarterback throws a pick six. That's like the back-breaking, debilitating pick six. That's sure. what Giant fans have, have, have always been accustomed to. You know, the crazy part is yards per play. The Raiders had a better yards per play. The Giants were four and a half. The Raiders were six yards a play. The Raiders had 400 yards, total yards. The Giants had 245. The Giants couldn't really move the ball that well down the field. Like they struggled at times again to be able to put up points. Now, Daniel Jones had that great pass to Evan Ingram, who, you know, he did lead the team in receptions, albeit for three on three targets during the game. <laughs> but, hey, but guess what, though? Three catches on three targets. And that is a I, big step forward for I, Evan Ingram. I know you'll sign up for that all day. You're like, he catches 100% of the ball, so it doesn't matter if it's one or 100. Like, you're, you're in on that. I So, so the, the, the thing that's so maddening to me is, like, I feel like the Raiders could have gotten blown out in this game by the Giants. Like, the Giants looked 
significantly better than the Raiders did. And it felt like the game was close because, uh, you know, and, and people have said this on Twitter, listen, the offensive line was pretty terrible. Daniel Jones was, was uh, being uh, pressured on dropbacks 40, I think it was about 45% of the time on mm-hmm. all of his dropbacks, he was pressured. So like they were getting pressure on him every other time they basically dropped back. So everyone's saying, well, the giants had to have this game script. My, my argument to that simply is like, okay, you can't stretch the field vertically with Darius Slayton. Understand he can't get, get catches. You did, uh, you know, spend $18 million a year on Kenny Galladay, who's supposed to be a guy that can go up and make a play for you one-on-one in coverage. And he gets a couple of looks. You draft a first-round draft pick in Kadarius Tony. And if he, if we don't have time, why are we not giving, you know, short slants and short out routes to get the ball into, into his hands, into his space. Mm-hmm. It just felt like the giants were, were, were plodding along and, and you know, a lot of it has to do with the, the way that Jason Garrett was basically saying, I don't want to lose this game for, for our team. So I'm just going to run this game script and hopefully we'll come out on top if I don't blow this. Yeah. And I, here's the, here's the thing that I'll say as we move into onto the defensive side of things, but include play calling decision-making, right? I don't look at this so much. Like you say, Jason, is this Jason Garrett? Cause now the narrative is out there too, right? Like, what are we thinking here? The giants get this win. We talked about it last time, lesser of two evils. What do you think if Joe judge isn't the guy, do you give a veteran head coach like Garrett an opportunity? Some people have said, maybe you need to get Jason Garrett onto just the play calling and allow someone to be executing, putting in the plays. However, though, so essentially get Jason Garrett up into the booth, let him have the bird's eye view. Maybe that could help things a little bit. But my thing is here now is like, we're talking about this sense of, the offense didn't want to open this thing up. I'm not 100% sure. So this is the de- defensive piece. Defense looked fantastic, right? We're going to get back to the quarterbacks and Daniel Jones a little bit later on. Defense looked fantastic. However, gave up more average yards per play than than the Raiders defense did. Short of these couple of somewhat questionable, I think it was the wind, if I want to be honest, at, at, at the stadium that affected Derek Carr, because a couple of those those interceptions by McKinney were kind of like the wind caught it and just pushed it down a little bit. And then great plays by McKinney. We talk about converting those opportunities when you have the chance. But I just don't know that if the Giants said we're going to open it up, grip it, and rip it, there's a lot of factors. Is, is the offensive line going to hold up enough or... Is a talented defensive front for the Raiders. Are they going to get pressure and maybe force turnovers? They got one in this game in spite of limiting how much you wanted to use the passing game. Is Daniel Jones going to maybe make a mistake? And the, however, we want to wait that, right? Looking for a pass downfield, not being able to get there, negative game scripts. And even if the offense was successful through the air and opened it up a little bit and was a little more dynamic in this game, I don't know that this defense would hold up in a more open back and forth kind of battle, because these last three games have been great for this defense. And there's players that I like, there's decisions that they've made that I think are moving them in the right direction. And also this is not, I don't think that Carolina, the current state of the Kansas city chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders with what they've recently dealt with on the offensive side and personnel it's really hard for me to say that these last three games are more the reality of this defense as opposed to it being somewhere in between what we saw early in the year, total garbage, and where it looks now, very stout, right? I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And guess what? In two weeks off the bye, when you play Tampa Bay's offense, 
that's going to be more of a real sample size because everyone that they've played in the last three weeks have been offenses that have very clear reasons why they would be struggling in these games. Uh, I think what's important to note is the reason why the Giants won this game was not because the defense played amazing. It's because the defense ended up stop getting stops at critical moments in the game. It like they were moving the ball up and down the field on the Giants defense. Like, like I said, 400 yards, they averaged more average yards per rush and more yards per pass than the Giants did. They were moving the ball. The big number, Adam, is, is the red zone touchdown percentage, right? Yeah. In the red zone, the Las Vegas Raiders got there six times, and they only put seven on the board once. One out of six is not going to win you any games in the NFL. But I'll give you an example. The middle of the road in red zone touchdown percentage is a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're at like 63, 64% of the time they're in the red zone. They're scoring a touchdown. The, the Raiders they going are forward. one of the better AFC teams coming off that victory over the bills. As we all I know. mean, I mean, that, that is a whole nother thing. It's like, what happened? It was like upside down Sunday in the NFL with, with some of these games. Like, look at the Cowboys laying an egg to the Broncos. You look at the uh, bills and, and the Jaguars, but yeah. So, so the idea is, Las Vegas is not great in the red zone. Obviously, this week moved them down even further. They're 27th in red zone touchdown percentage at about 53%. So even if they got to what their average was, about 50-50, you're talking about adding two more touchdowns to the, the Raiders score, not to mention them missing a field goal that was a chip shot, and not to mention you know Der Derek Carr handing seven points to, to, the New to the New York Giants defense. Like When you add all this stuff up, the, the game plan and play calling could have looked horrific. If the, if the Raiders ended up punching the ball into the end zone one more time or two more times. And so for me, it's like, that's why this is so frustrating. I should be happy that we won this game. I should be excited that we're finally getting wins. And yet I'm kind of sitting here saying we kind of got lucky. They couldn't finish in the red zone. They threw a pick six and, and we ended up holding on to, to, to survive. Right. Well, yeah. And again, guess what though? Like this is what I think this team is this year. Like this is the, this is their best path to win games, at least until they're a hundred percent healthy. And that specifically goes across the offensive line until you're capable of allowing some things to develop. Cause guess what? Even the trick plays looked predictable when they tried to do that pass. They tried to use Kadarius Tony a couple Tony. of different times. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, Holy crap. Like, you know, our, our trick plays are getting blown up. They, they were reminiscent of when, you know, you'd say and, and anywhere Jason Garrett or otherwise, right. The last half a decade where you go, going to be a draw up the gut it just you knew the play was coming usually trick plays are like oh my god can the defense recover no instead they're blowing it up right so it just it's difficult for me to look at this team in spite of a couple of explosive games from Katarius tony right in, in spite of what looked like almost saquon barkley getting back it's just it's been a, a myriad of injuries that unfortunately prevented them from really developing that chemistry on the offensive side but the interesting thing to me would be again these last three weeks, we would all agree the versions of these teams, whether it's, uh, you know, Carolina coming back down to reality, Sam Darnold kind of being a bust now there in his second team, the state of the Kansas City Chiefs, which, by the way, quick side note, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the way they played against Josh Allen, the way that teams are playing against Patrick Mahomes. This is the, okay, you want to blow out over the top to Diggs, to Tyreek Hill? What if we take that away? What does the offense look like, and are you capable of adjusting it? And right now, you're seeing... This is always the ebb and flow of the NFL where now defenses are balancing the books a little bit more. You know, you're going to give up points, but if you start to take away one or two possessions per game, because you don't give those big explosive plays up all of a sudden you hang around a little bit longer. So side note there, the, the, 
the thing I was going to say about, about the Giants, and and it, it follows the game script of every single game so far going in and coming out of them, is I think, I truly do think, the Giants could beat virtually any team in the NFL and also get blown out by any team in the NFL. Like, I, I think there's a, there's a world where, like, the Giants are kind of middle of the road, and it's like Jekyll and Hyde, what team shows up, ball bounces directionally one way or another, and all of a sudden the Giants could win against anyone. They... They, they beat the New Orleans Saints, who look like they could be a playoff team. Carolina looks like that win doesn't look as great as it, as it did anymore. But Las Vegas was leading a division with that Kansas City Chief uh, Patrick Mahomes team. You, you know, So the, the Giants are showing that they can compete in these games. And I think that's what brings me back to this. Like, man, things could be so much so much different, Adam. If, if we win that Washington game, and right now we're four and five, you, you have the Cowboys losing, you have the Eagles losing, and you're sitting here saying, hey, listen, we still get Dallas one more time. Who knows what could happen Miami, in that game? for Philly, Washington, I, of course, Chicago. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's all it's all in front of us. I, and I know what you mean, dude, and, like, and guess what? Even this win does at least give you that element of hope where you go, okay, go into the bye week, have two full weeks to prepare the perfect game plan. They try to beat Tampa Bay, and even if you don't, right, the charges have come back down to reality a little bit, et cetera. The season is still open, but here's the interesting piece of it. Before we get into, we'll we'll, we'll close out with some maybe coaching and, and how we're feeling overall. But here's the deal: the QBR rating for Daniel Jones, right, is a 45.4 on the season right now. And if you go all the way back to the three-game losing streak they started the season on, well, he had a QBR of 56, 61, and 51. That's above his average for the season. He even against the win in the Saints. Now, there's a win there against the Saints. That's his best QBR of the year, 68.2. After that, though, loss against Dallas in a blowout with a late touchdown that helps it, 60. Had a 6.8 against the Rams. 44, 34, and 48 in this win over the Raiders. So in these last three games when they've gone 2-1, and one, Daniel Jones has actually played some of his worst football of the year. So that that's this, to me, is the other caveat is do the Giants, the things they're trying to figure out, if they were healthy, if only, if only. But the best version of this team is when they have Daniel Jones do less and try to control it, try to restrict it, try to be a old-school kind of, let's pound the football on offense, let's be opportunistic on defense, and then we can put ourselves in a spot late in the game where we have a chance to win. And that's the interesting wrinkle, is... What have we learned about Daniel Jones over the course of this season? On the one hand, it feels like the first two years of his career, I mean, rookie season, we get that. But last season, well, injuries, right? We don't know. No Saquon Barkley. Same things kind of happened this year. But I'll ask you, is the team talented enough in spite of the injuries? Or is there enough weapons on the offense where what's more likely that Jason Garrett has a hard time, and the coaching staff as a whole, has a hard time scripting and developing a successful offensive game plan that uses the, the talent and value of Daniel Jones, or that Daniel Jones is maybe not as capable of running the more explosive offense successfully without having some of the mistakes that can be costly and end up putting you in situations where we're going to lose 35 to 17, 35 to 20, as opposed to late in the game, not looking for Daniel Jones to make the last big play to get you the win, but looking to the defense to say, hey, if you can get this stop, we get out of here with a victory. And it's because we're restricting, we're protecting, we're trying to mitigate the risk around Daniel Jones. So 
it is an interesting question to think about. So kudos to you. I'll give you a little pat on the back, Adam. But that's about as far as I can take that piece of it for a couple of reasons. First one is last year, Daniel Jones showed that on deep passes, he was, you know, by some stretch of the imagination, the the most accurate on passes over 20 plus yards down the field in terms of how how many were expected to be caught and what Mm -hmm. were actually caught. So Daniel Jones threw an amazing deep ball. He has deep ball, big play potential. He also shows that he can use his legs to be able to manufacture first downs. But the more important thing, and we, and we kind of danced it around it just a little bit is the fact that defense looks so much better the last couple of weeks. And like when you, when you look at the, when you look at the Washington football game, Daniel Jones played pretty well. You, you look at the games where he has to put up points. He can put up points. The last couple of weeks, though, when, when you actually look at what the Giants' schedule looks like, the, the Raiders are, are putting up 16 points. The Chiefs put up 20. The Giants had a shot to win. And the Panthers didn't score a touchdown all game, right? So, mm-hmm. like, of course Daniel Jones is going to look better and this team is going to win when the defense is giving up 20 points or less, which is not always the case. Earlier in the season, you look at what some of these teams are doing. They're putting up 27 to 30 points asking the team to do more. And all of a sudden Daniel Jones is dropping back. And this offensive line, which is getting pressured between 40 and 50% of the time when yeah. he drops back in these deep passes is not doing him any favors. And, and, and it's hurrying the ball and is the catalyst to me more of why Daniel Jones potentially turns the ball over than just Daniel Jones in general. Sure. Yeah. And listen, that, and that can be fair. Cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not off the Daniel Jones bandwagon. I think, I wonder what will become of of him and the coaching staff and the GM in this offseason, right? And a lot depends on how these next handful of games go over the back end of the season. But it, it's interesting to keep an eye on it, right? When when he does more and he looks better, are the Giants winning or losing those games? And it's not only what he does, right? It's all three phases, obviously. But it's an interesting facet of this conversation of if you ask Daniel Jones to do more, how does it impact your chances to win or lose a game, right? The risk reward factor, something that I think like there's probably more inside these numbers going back to last year as well. So I'll suss them out a little bit. And when we come in probably maybe in the midweek before our, well, well the bye week. So it's a perfect time to do it, right? Take a look at some of these numbers <clears throat> and how Daniel Jones is kind of stacked up. The, the last thing I will say, just to focus in on the defense, here's what I have liked. And this is, I'm getting tired of doing it because I, I at certain points you go, yeah, but think about all the bad that, that Dave Gettleman has done. The last couple of years, he's done a nice job of bringing in players throughout the season that help improve this team and really change the hierarchy. I'm not sure what happened off the field with O'Shane Exhibit as supposedly something behind the scenes around he was a healthy scratch for disciplinary reasons or for you know rubbing Coach Joe Judge the wrong way. But Roche gets in there, and I'll tell you right now, He's a little bit bigger. He's a borderline kind of almost hybrid end edge rusher in this three, four system, but he looks like he's a far better fit and a far better compliment to the other linebackers that they have in there. They also brought in another uh, McKinney who's going to be, he got some reps there as well. He's kind of in that Tay Crowder, right? Linebacker safety ish kind of role. There are some pieces here that seem to be coming along. Dexter Lawrence gets put into that category as well. The defense does seem like they're getting further and further down the road of continuity under Patrick Graham, understanding under Patrick Graham. The question mark around Darnay Holmes and and maybe again in this game script of if 
Renfro doesn't have some injury issues throughout this game, I think he was going to feast all day against Darnay Holmes. So maybe you get lucky there. But I have liked making these little adjustments and trying to figure out how pieces can fit well together. And I'm highlighting Roche because, again, late round pick in the draft, but a rookie that you got just because he was let go by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think there's a world where now you come back next season and see what he does the rest of this year. This is a guy that could be a, a contributor on this defensive side, even just from a depth piece. But there's a nice rotational player that the Giants went out and identified and got their hands on. Zach Rosenblatt uh, had a couple of cool stats that he tweeted out. So Black, give Black. Where, yeah, give, give credit where credit is due. Roche had the sixth best pass rushing grade of all edge rushers that played football on Sunday. Like, is that good on a waiver claim? I think I, you know, I would, I would surmise that it is Adam. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and and I want to, I want to continue to have the positive vibes instead of the frustrating vibes, especially yes. after a win. Um, quietly, can we just say that Adoree Jackson has played significantly better over the last few weeks? I think he gave up like five yards on five targets towards him in, in this game. He is awesome. And he's looking really, really good. Pro football focus grade on the year of 72.5. That is, uh, I mean, more than you can ask for from yeah. a, from a number two type cornerback. And the fact that he's young, we talked about investing in this talent. Like we now have him locked in for a couple more years. It feels good to say, Hey, we may have found something here with a Dory Jackson. And you, you kind of lean over to the other piece of the secondary we got to talk about Xavier McKinney. I mean, he was all over the field. His his pick six, awesome. Jumped in front of the route. Derek Carr just didn't have the arm strength to get it out towards the towards the uh, the boundary. Xavier McKinney kind of baited him into it. Jumped the route. Pick six to the house. First first inter you know pick six in like a year and a half for the Giants. Amazing. Then he then he comes back and he has another interception. But Adam, outside of all outside of the interceptions, even though those are great. He was the highest graded defensive player in the league by pro football focus yesterday. Yeah. 94.5. He was awesome. He was awesome in coverage. He was awesome tackling. He was awesome reading, reading, you know, Derek Carr and, and what formations were going on to know where to be. So kudos to that defense for stepping up. You know, this is not a Raiders team that I, I think we both have a little bit more faith in this Raiders offense than we did Carolina in terms of what we sure, were able yes. to do yes. to them. Like, you know, neither of us have too much faith in Sam Darnold. The still defense, have Darren Waller, though, you still have talented receivers on that team, obviously, and weapons. You, you still have Jacobs in the backfield. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Leonard Williams was getting pressure. Dexter Lawrence looked good. Like there, there is a lot of positives on the defensive side of the ball to take away from this. You said Roche, Oziz, Aziz Ojalari looked to me looked pretty good. Like he very good. He, he looked he looked active out there. So you're talking about starting to get had a nice tip pass, had a nice chase down of a swing pass out of the backfield where he came around from the right side, made it all the way to the left to get him down. Yeah, a hundred percent. You're seeing, um, I think the continuity and the understanding, right. Taking a long time to get there, but we wondered Patrick Graham, is this Patrick Graham? Is this Patrick Graham from last year? Or somebody who changed his name to Patrick Graham and took over the defense right No, But you see how maybe with some new personnel and some young players, it is a process to get everyone up to speed and you throw in having to deal with losing Blake Martinez and having some guys in and out of the lineup, obviously. Yeah. And, and someone, someone tweeted, I, I forget who tweeted it online, but it's like, uh, Patrick Graham looks like he's coaching for his job. Right. Yeah. And it's like, maybe he should tell the other coaches on the coaching staff. They too should be coaching. Like their job depends on it because like Patrick Graham is trying to figure out what's the best way to deploy all of this talent that I have. And clearly, you know, Jabril Peppers 
you know, being out for the season is tough, but it just goes to show now we basically know what that secondary is going to look like with Xavier McKinney, with Logan Ryan. And, and like, you, you just know what you have. You don't have to switch things up and say, this is how we're going to play. And I think it's, it's resonating with the team. That defense looked much, much improved. We talk about it before much improved because that red zone percentage for the, for the Raiders was what it was, but give credit where credit's due. The players made the stops when they needed to. And that's the reason the giants got the W as I said, End of the day, the Giants are three and six. They hit the bye week here. Let's just then, if we're getting out on a positive note, do you hold any level of optimism for this team going forward over the back half of this schedule, knowing that there are some very winnable games, knowing that they are going to get, you know, marginally healthier at certain key spots where they can get them back? Saquon is still out there potentially, right? To have his return, could have come back this week. He had to go through the COVID protocol. So, there is a world, right? There is a world where this could still be a positive season. And we talked about it last week. So I just want to update your thoughts on it. Can, can wins against bad teams still make you feel good about this season? So Art Stapleton tweeted it out. You can't get to 11 and six if you don't get to three and six, right? Like you, you, you know, there's gotta be a positive trend in the right direction. The giants need to win games to, to, have progress, but also yeah. have aspirations for anything. I mean, let's, let's be honest here, Adam, like okay. with the schedule, the giants have in the back half of the year, there are definitely some winnable games. Now, mm -hmm. if the giants pull the, the Jekyll and Hyde that we've all come to, uh, to know and, and have a love hate relationship, you know, they could go out and beat the Buccaneers on Monday night after the bye week and then dump the game to the Philadelphia Eagles. And everyone's ripping their hair out. Like we don't understand this team. Yep. But I, but I will say, like, you look at who's potentially in the playoffs. You're talking the Giants are, like, two games back of the seven spot right now. Well, here's and the deal. Three wild cards, right? Extra playoff spot here. And as it stands right now, a team you play twice in your own division, the Philadelphia Eagles, are three and six, virtually tied with you right now. Washington's behind you at two and six. The Chicago Bears are at the bottom at three and five. But in the north, it's three and five Minnesota Vikings in the second position. The Saints are five and three. That's one wild card spot. Seven and two Rams. That's a wild card spot. Only teams in your way, four and four Falcons, who unfortunately you lost to. But guess what? Everybody else, you've if you've played against them like the Panthers, you beat them. Okay. So now if you go out and you win these games, I just listed, we'll go over the record next week of the opponents that the Giants have remaining on this schedule. There's a world where is eight and nine enough maybe to grab that third wild card spot? Possibly. And unlike last year, if you told me you could get to eight and nine somehow, and we'll we'll suss out whether that's really real realistically on the table, but if you could get to eight and nine and met making the playoffs, I I would I would be excited for that, given where the season started. And even finishing eight and nine and not making the playoffs would still be exciting, relatively speaking. But it'll be interesting. I I again I I'm I'm you know, two and one over the last three games. I'm just cautioning Giants fans here. Look at who they played the last few weeks. Be excited about it. Be happy that they got wins. I don't care how they come. And also know that in the short term, even if you feel positive about this team in the big picture, you do have to remember that they're going to come out of the bye week. They're going to have to play uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then they're going to follow up with the Eagles. But then you're going to get the Dolphins, two nice little little cheap shot wins. But then it's the Chargers and the Cowboys, right? So you have five games here where a two and three record would actually be a, a good thing, right? Maybe three, you know, three, three you know, you know, don't think don't dream on <laughs> a dream, right? But if you went two and three over these five games in a normal context, isolated, you'd feel good about that. The problem is, right? You know where the record is. So all of a sudden you're going to be 
five and nine going, okay, so how, you know, now what's the next hump to get over? So a little bit interesting to see, but that's why Kansas City game was so important because there was this sliver of a hope I had that you could go two and one over that three game stretch with Tampa. Now you're, you're always in this uphill battle. It goes back to where we started. When you don't at least win the game against Atlanta or the game in the division against Washington, suddenly you're zero and three instead of one and two. Then you're five, three and you know three and uh, two and six instead of three and five. Right? It's just every time you try to get a positive vibe, there's a little bit of a gut check for you just as far as where this team is. But listen, they're keeping me intrigued. Okay, well, keep, that, keep that, the, that, that, that's the deal. They're keeping the, me interested. The the one thing I will say that you just talked about the teams that are in the fight for the playoffs, and it, it sounds crazy to think that the, that we're talking about any type of playoffs for the Giants. But look at the Saints. You mentioned that they have a winning record right now, but they lost their starting QB. Trevor Simeon's in. They look a little bit less dangerous than they did even a few weeks ago when they manhandled the sure. Packers on opening weekend. That's another team that the Giants have the tiebreaker against if all, all things are, are, are equal. It, it's There is a distinct possibility the Giants have to go 5-3 and three over their last eight games. Is it possible? Maybe the Giants have shown that they could beat anyone, but also they've shown that they could lose everyone. And that was my point from before. Could they go five and three? Hey, anything could happen out there on the field. And in order to do so, Chargers, Bucks, Cowboys, right? You got it. One of those games has to be a win in that mix, right? That's kind of the point here. You got to steal one more game in order to be able to make that possibility happen. We'll see where it goes, man. Listen, the Giants get the W, 23-16. The defense plays incredible. A young star in the making like Xavier McKinney makes some big plays for you. These are the positive things that you want. Do we wish that it was all happening simultaneously on, in all three phases? Of course we do. But that is not what it means to be a New York football Giants fan. You can. Follow the podcast over on social media at One Giant Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel where we're doing this thing a couple of days a week. Going to try to do some more in-between content, especially over the course of the bye week. Uh, hashtag OGP if you'd like. Sure, why not? Give us a follow on social media as well. And then as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, especially after a Giants win, let's go Big Blue.